It's that time. Welcome to the Time to Man Up podcast. And here's your host, Sean Hess. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to the Time to Man Up podcast. Uh, special weekend, uh, Memorial Weekend. Always an amazing opportunity for us as a country to celebrate those who have given their lives in service of our country for our freedom. I tell people all the time that the greatest freedom that we have is the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ, right? And so we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. But that second greatest freedom is the freedom that we have to be able to go and worship on Sunday and not be persecuted, to be able to freely do that. And I don't know if that will always continue, but right now we have that opportunity, and it's because of those who went and served our country and willingly laid down their lives for so that we could have that freedom. And so, man, it's like I wish I could say thank you, uh, but if you have a loved one that died uh, serving our country, thank you. Uh, for their service, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, I've got a couple things that I keep on my shelves, and one is the gone but not forgotten, and because it is always important that we remember those who have served, and, and not just necessarily gave their lives, but those who served our country faithfully, and uh, we are grateful for our veterans, uh, all of those that have served, and we want to celebrate them, but Memorial Day, a weekend is that opportunity to celebrate those who have given their lives uh, for their country. I love the, the the school that I went to, the college that I went to, Cedarville University. They always had an amazing celebration uh, of, of the different uh, branches of the military. It was just always a cool thing. And so this is one thing that when I saw it, I had to get it because I wanted this on my shelves for the time to man up. Clearly, if you're just listening, you can't see it, but it's a soldier kneeling down. And then this other piece is really cool. It's uh, somebody made it out of wood, and uh, I was out at a flea market, and I saw this, and I'll tell you, his entire shop was uh, just made of things celebrating our country, celebrating the freedoms that we have. And when I saw this, I was like, I want to get this. Uh, for the shelves on my podcast, it's a cross made out of wood uh, with the flag representation on it. And, and I just thought this was a, just an amazing uh, thing. And uh, so, yeah, now I have that on my shelves to be able to celebrate not only what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross in giving us eternal life through him, right? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That was that freedom that we had through Jesus Christ, and we remember that. But we also remember those on this weekend that gave their lives so that we might have the freedom to do things like a podcast, Time to Man Up, and we are so grateful for that today. So we hope that as you go to your picnics and different things that we do throughout the weekend, that you would just take that time to really just say thank you to those who have served, to those who are serving, and just take some time to thank God for those who were willing to lay down their life for not just our country, but for us, so that we might have the freedoms that we have for however long we have those freedoms. 
So today in this episode of the Time to Man Up podcast, I want to return to our focus on the importance of taking a stand. Taking a stand uh, for God is not always easy to do. There are many challenges that come our way when we take a stand for God. We learned how to stand out from the life of Daniel. Standing out for God puts a target on your back, right? When you stand out for God, you set yourself apart and people will come after you. We learned how to stand up for God through the life of Esther, stand up for her people. But standing up for God puts us in a place of conflict with others. And we need to recognize that, that when we stand out, there are consequences. When we stand up, there are consequences. And in the life of Joshua, we learn the importance of standing firm. And again, there are consequences because standing firm for God can even alienate us from other believers. You see, there are just some believers that when we take a stand for what is right and we stand firm in it, they don't want anything to do with it because they would rather be like, and I, and I tease about this often, poor Switzerland, but there's that, you know, when we think about Switzerland, we think of being neutral. And there are too many things in life that we cannot just be neutral for, that we need to be willing to stand out, to stand up, to stand firm for. And we have to understand that the things that God calls us to stand for are worth standing up for. But being worth it should not be misinterpreted as it's going to go well. As if you stand up for these things, it's going to go great. Why? Because there's a cost that comes with taking a stand. But that cost is always worth it. Standing for God often puts us in difficult situations. So in this episode, we are going to look at the life of David. And we are going to look at the importance of standing courageously. You see, there are some people that take a stand, but you might not even recognize they're taking a stand because it's very quiet. It's behind the scenes. But we're going to go today to a very familiar story the story of David and Goliath, right? It's familiar to a lot of people, even people that aren't churched, because we all know that story of that little school that beat the bigger school, that team that was in last place that beat the first place team. Whatever it is, the sports world is full of David and Goliath stories. But I think it's safe to say that in all of the world of sports, there is nothing that matches the true story of David and Goliath. We are going to learn some lessons that are very important and that we need to apply to our lives when it comes to standing courageously for God, especially when no one has your back. Have you ever noticed how often when you take a stand, a courageous stand, all of a sudden you look back and it's like, where have they all gone? It is amazing how quickly believers will flee when someone takes a stand for God. I was recently on social media and a friend of mine uh, made a, a bold statement, stood firm, stood courageously, 
And, and I respected that. But the minute he took that stand, I knew that he was going to get raked over the coals. I mean, I knew that the arrows were coming, right? Those fiery arrows, they were coming at him. And sure enough, before you know it, man, it just exploded on him. And people from all over were making comments, and they were just slaughtering him. What he said was right. But the problem was is that all of a sudden, at the first recognition that there were a lot of negative thoughts in opposition of him, everyone else seemed to disappear or seemed to lighten their view on it. That's what happens often, even in the church, when a pastor takes a firm stance. Uh, there will be people that will cheer him on until the opposition rises up, and then it's like, hey, pastor, good luck. Hope you got this one because you're on your own. And there are believers that have that happen, right? If, if, a, if a man stands up for what is right, if he stands up for doing what is right, all of a sudden— those men that have a struggle in that area will disappear because they'll be like, brother, I love you, but I kind of like that area. I don't want to mess with it. And what happens is Israel is in a situation where they want a king. They want to be like all the other nations. And can I just say that was like a slap in the face to God. I mean, he knew it was going to happen. He, uh, he calls Israel stiff-necked people. They're always having issues. They're always going into captivity. We can be the same. So before you start casting stones at Israel, just know that we have those same problems. But Israel wants a king, and basically they're saying, God, you're great, but we want a king like everybody else has. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. What's amazing to the narrative is that God already knew that Israel was going to ask for a king. And so his plan in that plan is woven this kingship that began with Saul out of Israel's desire to be like the world. Saul becomes their first king. And things don't go as Israel wanted but they have their king. It never does, right? When we think we know what's better for us than God. So Israel chooses a king and things don't go well. Finally, God rejects Saul and he's like, man, you're done, Saul. Uh, we're going to replace you. It's time for a new king. And that process begins to play out. So God sends Samuel. He sends Samuel to Bethlehem and to the house of Jesse and he goes there to find the next king. God is directing him, telling him where to go. And in today's world, fellas, I'm guessing this would have been something like The Bachelor or Bachelorette type of thing, that reality TV show, Find the Next King of Israel, where they would have brought the, the cameras to, to Bethlehem, and they would have been bringing each guy up. And they'd be like, is this the next king of Israel? Find out next week on the next episode of King of Israel. I mean, right? They would have had something going on in this day and age. But in this situation, Samuel just goes and he's going to have, do a sacrifice. And so he invites the boys, invites the family to come and be part of him doing that sacrifice to God. And what happens is this. He just starts at the top and here's Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And... Instantly, Samuel is like, this is the dude. 
this is the guy that is going to be the next king of Israel. I mean, right? Samuel looks at him and he's like, this guy has all the tools that it would take to be the next king. But God tells Samuel not to get caught up on the outward things like appearance. Why? Because God looks at the heart. Now, I want you to remember that because it's very important. God says to Samuel, I look at the heart. Men, we know in the world that we live in, we don't always see the heart. We can't always tell, uh, is it pure motives? What's going on? And so we look at the outside. And a lot of times we can get led down the wrong path because what is on the outside is not a true representation of what is on the inside. We see that all the time. And I would say this, that sometimes people draw conclusions of what's on the inside and they are far off base. Anytime I do something, I try to find out, are my motivations right? Is what's on the inside that's driving this? Is it pleasing and acceptable to God? So then comes Abinadab. And Abinadab is the second oldest son. And all I can say is this. Uh, I remember Dikembe Mutombo, a big center in the NBA, and he would say, not in my house. And, and as he's blocking people's shots in the NBA, and basically that's what happens. Abinadab comes up, and it's like rejection. Rejection. Shot swatted back. And then comes Jesse's third oldest son, Shema. Rejection. I mean, it's like, right? God is just knocking people, blocking their shots. And he's like, Samuel, these are not the guys. I see what you're doing. You're working your way down. And we know how that then works, right? He goes through all of the sons. And it's like, no. But I, what I want you to remember is those first three sons, remember them because God said that he looks at the heart, not the outside. But those three individuals, and it's interesting that God mentions their names in, in, this, in this chapter, but those are going to be interesting individuals to our narrative that we're going to look at. So son after son comes before Samuel, and God rejects them all. These sons of Jesse have come before Samuel, and there's a problem because none of them are chosen by God. Samuel asked Jesse, hey, you got any other kids? Or, or maybe you need to have another one. I don't know what it is, but there is one, and his name is David, and he's out in the fields watching over the sheep. Likely, the way it goes is this. Jesse looked at his sons, and he's like, well, clearly it's not going to be the young one. Let's send him out to the sheep, and we'll let the older ones come in. So David arrives, and the passage tells us that he was ruddy had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. I mean, I'm like, I don't know how that all comes together. David was like this interesting character because we're going to find out, man, he was a warrior, but he was like this musician who wrote songs. It just like, I don't know, it was like a five-tool player in sports, but he had it all going on. And the Lord tells Samuel to arise and to anoint him as the next king of Israel. Now, I don't know how this played out with the older brothers, but Hollywood could not have written a story like this. The youngest comes, he gets anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Now it's hush. Israel doesn't know they're losing their king yet, but God has now anointed the next king. So we find that the, the spirit departs from Samuel and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. 
I mean, his days in leadership from then on were not good. He is unable to rest. And so his servants seek out someone who is like musical, can play instruments. And guess who they find? David. So David, the one who has been anointed, is brought there to, to the, the, the king, King Saul, so that he can play music for him. I kind of think of it like this. David was like that boy band guy who could kick butt. I mean, right? When I look at a boy band guy, sorry if you've been in a boy band before, but I don't like look at a lot of like fighter guys. I like, like the guys that sing all the girly songs and things like that. But David was that guy that could like write the music, sing the songs, play the instruments. And I remember having one of those guys in youth group and all the girls liked him. I mean, that guy played every instrument. He could sing. And it was just like, what can this guy not do? And that's kind of where David was. I don't know if he could fight, but David could fight. I know that. And so David serves Saul, and he begins to find favor with him. He begins to be his armor bearer and do different things. And during that time, David forged an important friendship. And we're not going to get into it today, but he formed a friendship with Jonathan. And Jonathan was Saul's son. And they become like best friends, right? Amigos. And they're hanging out together. They love each other. And there is just a bond there. I mean, men, you know how it is, right? We as men don't get a lot of those men in our lives that we're really good friends with and that we just can't live without. David and Jonathan were tight-knit. So God has selected David as the next king of Israel, and he has placed him in a position now in the house of Saul to learn how to be a king and even sometimes how not to be a king. So there's a lot more that happens leading up to our story, uh, but I want to get right to it now. The Philistines had gathered together, and their armies are there to battle with the Israelites. Every time we see Israel fighting, it seems like the Philistines are somewhere in the narrative, right? And so they are there, and they there's this valley. The Israelites are on one side. The Philistines are on one side, and they're looking across from each other, and things are just waiting to explode. I mean, it's like this standoff, but really not a standoff. Israel's just afraid, but you just don't know when that battle is going to stop, start. And I'm guessing that there was probably some trash talking going on. I know that if we know the story, we know that Israel kept running and hiding every time Goliath came out, right? But there was probably still some trash talking because you've all seen that in sports where there's that guy that just talks junk, man. I mean, he's talking trash and he's got no game to back it. I mean, he's got nothing. But he can talk the game, and that's exactly what Israelite was probably the Israelite army was probably doing. They're talking trash to the Philistines, but then every time Goliath comes out, the champion, they go running and hiding. And so he comes out from the camp, the, the Philistine camp, down into the valley to challenge the Israelites. Now check this out. Goliath is six cubits tall. Now when I hear six cubits tall, that sounds small to me. I mean, that sounds small, but a cubit was about a foot and a half. That means that Goliath is coming out, and Goliath is like nine feet tall. Now, that makes everything else bigger, right? His shield is bigger. His sword is bigger. His armor is bigger because he's a bigger guy. I'm not going to wear the same clothes that a nine-footer wears when I'm five 
10, five, nine and a half. <laughs> but we're just not going to wear the same clothes. This guy definitely would have made a lot of money in the NBA. Can you imagine a nine foot man who was athletic enough to be the best warrior of the Philistines? I mean, nine foot tall. He wouldn't even had to jump to dunk the basketball. They probably would have had to raise the rim because of him. He would have changed the game. But Goliath, we know, definitely could talk trash with the best of them. He was a trash talker, and every time he would come out to challenge the army of Israel, he would taunt them. He would talk trash to them. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 9, it says this, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, it's interesting. There's a lot riding on this, right? And Goliath could back it up. He wasn't afraid. He's out there making the challenge. He's like saying to his bros over on the one side, hey, you guys all good if I go out there and I challenge them? And I'm like, it's me against one of them. I mean, man, he might have even been willing to take on a couple of them. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen this guy fight, and there is no one that can stand up to Goliath. We don't even want to mess with him. So he goes out, and he's like, hey, just one of you guys come on out here and uh, come and fight with me. And like everybody's running, everybody's hiding. And guys, that includes the king too. He's not quick to get out there. So Goliath is challenging the Israelite army. Guys, he's challenging Israel's king. But most of all, he is challenging Israel's God. In 1 Samuel 17, 10, it says, And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I mean, he is challenging them. Goliath did this, get this, every morning and every evening for 45 days. Fellas, can you imagine being in this neutral place, one group on one side of the valley, the other group on the other side of the valley, and for 45 days, I'm thinking, why didn't the Philistines just go over and kick their butts, right? I mean, they're like a bunch of cowards over here running and hiding. And what is Israel's response? In 1 Samuel 17, 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They're shaking in their boots. They want nothing to do with this. They're like, how can we go against this guy? And I'm like, sometimes, men, we forget who we are. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have one that is fighting for you who can defeat anybody. Israel should have known that. This is the same God that has delivered us time and time again, and yet they failed to step into that and stand up, to stand up for their nation, to stand up for their king, and to stand up above all for God. Instead, they are dismayed and they are afraid. There are three men that are familiar to us. Remember, I told you the three oldest brothers of, of David, they are part of the military. They are part of Israel's army. And these are men who were considered as the possible king of Israel, and yet they are men who are losing heart, 
who are afraid and they are hiding. So you got Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, and they're not even brave enough to stand up to Goliath. Can you imagine if one of those guys was anointed the next king and people found out, hey, weren't you the guy hiding behind the rock every time Goliath came out? But David, the anointed future king of Israel, he's back home watching over the sheep. His dad sends him with food for his brothers and the commanders of the army. And Jesse wants to basically find out what is going on. They've been gone for 45 days. What is happening? So David arrives and things are getting heated up. I mean, it looks like after 45 days, there might actually be some fighting. And so David comes in and he's excited. The armies are lined up across from each other and it says that David runs to the battle to find his brothers. I mean, he is running to the battle. He wants to see what's happening. It is at that moment that Goliath comes out. And for another day, he taunts, he talks smack to the Israelite army. But there is something different on this day. What is different on this day is that David is there. 1 Samuel 17, 24 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. They're hiding behind boulders. They're hiding behind whatever they can find because they don't want to be called out by this guy. And then in verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. It's like, if anybody will step up and take on this Philistine, I mean, just step up and fight him, let alone defeat him, he is going to be blessed by the king with riches and even his daughter in marriage. That's what Saul was willing to do. And, and David is like this. He's like, say what? You mean, you mean, tell me this again, fellas. So if I go out there and I fight Goliath and I defeat Goliath, tell, tell me what's going to happen again. Because in, in verse 26, it says, and David said to them who stood by them, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now I'm thinking the very people that he's talking to should have been like, feeling embarrassed, right? He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? He's like, boys, you are the army of the living God. What is your problem? He said, like, you guys are the team in first place. What are you worried about? But in reality, they were living life like they were in last place. So the men repeat to David what will be done for the man that kills Goliath. Now, it's interesting because remember what God said to Samuel when he went, when Samuel thought that Eliab was the next king, he said, remember, don't look at the outside appearance, the outer appearance, but look at the heart. We need to check this out here because Eliab gets mad at David and he tells him, I mean, he tells David, he says, you have an evil heart. He's like, David, you're in it for the king's daughter. You're in it for the riches. You have an evil heart. Now, did he miss the part where he said that, man, we are God's chosen people. Who are we hiding behind rocks, right? 
But Eliab is like, I don't know if he was like making himself feel better that he was hiding behind a rock by saying that. I mean, this is from a man who was rejected to be the next king because of his heart. The reality is that David gets what's on the line, even if no one else does. Goliath is defying God, and David will not have any of it. Are you guys ready to learn the secrets to standing courageously for God? I'm telling you, we are going to give you from this passage some important lessons those secrets of how to stand courageously for God, even when no one else stands with you, even when you turn back and you're like, where is everybody else? Because I want to tell you that usually when we take a stand, usually we will find ourselves alone or few in number. So the first thing that we need to do, and here's the first secret, we need to reflect on God's past works. We need to remember who we are taking a stand for. Word gets back to Saul about David, so he sends for him. And in 1 Samuel 17, 32, it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man lose heart. He just saw a whole bunch of that going on out there. He says, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. The youngest child of Jesse comes and he says, I'm not having any of this. I'm going to step up and I'm going to take this guy on. I mean, David is ready and willing to fight Goliath. And for 45 days, no one else has been. So Saul, being the courageous king that he is, explains to David that there is no way that he will ever be able to fight Goliath. Perhaps we would have agreed with Saul's conclusion but why wasn't Saul willing to go fight Goliath? Why wasn't Saul willing to go represent God before Goliath? And now when David comes and is willing to do that, he says, you know what? Let me list for you the top 10 reasons why you can't win this thing, right? But David explains to him, you know what? I'm not afraid of Goliath. Let me tell you where my courage comes from. It comes from the fact that God has delivered me time and time before. God delivered him from a lion. God delivered him from a bear. And David believed that he would do the same when it came to this uncircumcised and defiant Philistine. David is more focused on God and his source of victory than the giant he is up against. I mean, right? There's this big nine-foot giant out there, Goliath, and if you're looking out at him, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to go too well for me. I, I mean, we've been in those big games. If you played sports, you've had those games where you went into it and you thought, man, I don't know if we can do this. And probably maybe 99 out of 100 times, you wouldn't be able to do that. But on that one time, you catch lightning in a bottle, things go well, and you defeat that team that you never thought you'd be able to defeat. Man, that is such a celebration time, right? And David's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight this guy. And you may say that I can't do it, Saul. You may give me all these reasons, but let me tell you why I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because God's going to deliver me. Now, guys, can I say this too often? We are more focused on the enemy or the problem than we are on the one who brings victory. Listen, there is no enemy 
There is no situation that is greater than God. I mean, right now you should be hearing this and you should be seeing, saying amen. Not because I'm saying it, but because it's 100% true. There is no enemy. There is no situation. Nothing that you will ever face in life that is greater than God. You say, well, you don't understand. My wife has cancer and she's dying. Let me tell you this. In the end, that's victory. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's victory. That should be all of our desires. And so even if in battle, the enemy takes us down, the enemy wounds us and we can't keep fighting, we know that what is in the end, God wins. Why? Because he conquered the grave. But no matter how difficult the enemy is or the situation is, God is able to bring you victory. When we focus too much on the enemy or the situation, it can cause us to be defeated, overwhelmed before we even step onto the battlefield. Man, Saul gives David the green light to go and fight Goliath. I mean, it's not like anyone else was volunteering to do it, right? So why not David? It was all on this young man's shoulders. Now, I'm thinking if I'm going into this battle and I know that if I lose, we become slaves to the Philistines, I'm carrying a pretty heavy load on that. David's like, let's just get this on because he was so into trusting God that he had no doubt of the outcome of this. So we need to remember what God has done in the past. That helps us. The second secret is of this, of being courageous in our stand is that we use what God has given us. Men, I want you to use what God has given you, how he has equipped you, the abilities, the gifts he has given you. I want you to use that. Listen, don't try to be me, and I shouldn't try to be you. We need to be the men that God has made us to be. So many times, I, I mean, golf is just like a crazy game for me, right? Because there'll be days when I hit really good. There'll be days that it seems like I haven't even played golf that much. And I will read books, I will watch videos, and I will try to do exactly what somebody else did. The problem is my body doesn't always look like theirs. I'm not as tall as they are or whatever the thing is. I'm trying to do what works for someone else rather than what works for me. We need to take what God has equipped us and do that. What I find in golf is that when people are able to do that, there are some guys that have horrible golf swings. I mean, when you look at their golf swing, you're like, what in the world was that? I mean, it's like loop-de-loops and all over the place, right, with the club. But somehow, they hit the ball amazing. And I always wonder, I know all the right ways to do it. Why can't I not do it well? Well, because sometimes I'm trying to work outside of my abilities outside of who I am, my shape, you know, and uh, some people have just learned to be comfortable with who they are and it helps their game. David comes into this battle and Saul's trying to say, Hey, you know what? Here, you're going to need this armor because you're going against the, the, I mean, the champion of the Philistines, you need this armor. He's like trying on the armor. He's like, this is awkward. This is horrible. I don't have any experience wearing this armor. I'm not doing it. So listen to what David does in the midst of facing this greatest fight ever, a fight that could mean the freedom or slavery of an entire nation. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 40, 
Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David reverts back to what got him through all of his previous victories. He takes his staff in one hand and his sling in the other hand, and he is ready to do battle. He then goes down to the brook and he finds five smooth stones. Then he puts them in his fanny pack, right? In in this day and age, it probably would have been a fanny pack that he put it in. I I I I can't do the fanny pack thing. I know maybe some of you guys are probably listening to this and you're like, oh dude, I love the fanny pack. I can't do it. It just doesn't seem right for a man to wear a fanny pack. So if you're good with wearing one, good for you. I can't do the fanny pack. So I'm just gonna get like a pouch, right, and put my rocks in it. But some of you might have a fanny pack. But David is ready to go. He's got his five smooth stones. And uh, that is definitely not a weapon, a sling and a staff that somebody would have picked to take on the champion of the Philistines who had all the best equipment. Or perhaps we just don't get their value, right? The value of that sling in the hands of someone that knew how to use it. In Judges 2016, check this out because I think this is amazing. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Now, I'm left-handed. I kind of like a passage that picks out left-handers, right? So 700 chosen men who were left-handed, everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Dude, I'm like, okay, you had me at left-handed, but could sling a stone and not miss a hair? I'm like, dude, I could throw a stone with my arm and I still wouldn't hit the hair. I mean, that's skill. And they had 700 men that could do that. They were left-handed. I'm like, right? Left-handed is already rare. And then you got 700 of them and they can do the sling. God has equipped David for the battle. So the question is this, men, how has God equipped you for the battle? And are you trying to be something you were not meant to be? Or are you willing to just be, use what God has given you to fight in the battle? Men, we must be content in how God has equipped us for the battle. We must be confident in his ability to bring us the victory, not our own. The next secret to standing courageously is this. Depend on God for your success. So look at the past, what he's done. See how he has equipped you and then depend on him for your success. David believes 100% that God will deliver Goliath into his hands. So as Goliath is approaching David on the battlefield, imagine this. I mean, David is getting under Goliath's skin before a word is even spoken. Uh, In verse 42 on, it talks about Goliath despised David. I mean, Israel is sending out a boy. How insulting to the champion, right? Send me out somebody big, somebody that can fight. This is all you got? He is this glowing, healthy, ruddy boy. He's handsome. So, you know, Goliath probably has his, like, scars from all of his battles and stuff. And here comes, like, that boy band David, right? Here comes the boy band David. Boy band David comes out, and he's like, dude, what's this guy going to do? Sing to me? You know, got a little routine that he's going to go through. And Goliath despises him. He doesn't, 
He's like all ugly from battle scars, and he's got this cute little guy coming out and going to fight him. And in the next verse, it tells us that Goliath was insulted by David. He's like, this dude is really bringing out a staff and a sling? I mean, that was an insult to him. These are not the weapons of a warrior. Goliath responds by cursing David by his gods. I mean, he's getting ticked off. It, it, it just went from taunting Israel to now he's getting downright angry. So Goliath's game plan, Goliath wants to tear David apart. He wants to give his flesh to the birds and the wild animals. He wants to annihilate David, totally destroy him so that there is nothing left from David once he's done in this battle. I mean, right, he says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. That's what's going to happen. But David shows his dependency on God. In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It's on now. That God that you've been talking smack about, Goliath, that's the one I come against you in, in his name the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of the Israel. I mean, he wanted he wanted the Philistines to know, you know what? My boys over here, they've been cowards. They've been cowards. They are the army of God, and they don't even get it. They've been hiding, but I want you to know that I'm stepping out here as a representative of the army of Israel, God's army, the army, the God that you have defied. So David lays out his game plan, and this is what's great, because, you know, Goliath has said, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. David says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I mean, that's some smack talking right there, right? Not only am I going to defeat you, I'm going to cut off your own head. And then he's going to go do it with his own, with Goliath's sword, right? I don't even know how he picks it up. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath said, David, I'm going to give your carcass to the birds and animals. David says, hey, check this out, brother. I'm going to give your entire army to the birds and the animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Hey, can, can I just get this one? Why are we still talking about David and Goliath? Men, why are we still talking about David and Goliath? I just read it for you. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So when that sports event that you're watching talks about the David and Goliath, the promise of David that the world would know that there is a God in Israel that's being talked about. And so David is one up in Goliath, but he makes this promise that has shown itself to be true. David is dependent on God for his success because he understands who he is fighting for. David's defeat would be God's defeat. If David loses this, it's a loss for God. But David's victory would be God's victory. In verse 47, it says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, check this out now. Now, all of a sudden, David is like, you know what? I just want you to know this. God's going to give you into our hands. 
So those Israelite army that are up there and they're hiding behind the stones and they're stepping out to see what's happening, all of a sudden David is encouraging them. Today, God is going to give you into our hands, not my hands, our hands. It is God who is going to save us. It is God who's going to give us the victory. Men, standing courageously requires that you depend on God for your success. This means that we must always remember who we are fighting for and whose battles we are fighting. And then the next thing, fourth thing, men, you need to run to the battle. If you are going to stand courageously, you can't just walk. You got to run to the battle. Spectators do not stand courageously. There are a lot of people in the church who fill the pew, who fill the seat every week, and that's all they are. They're just this lump of mass that sits in a chair and they do nothing. I mean, if you are one that's listening to this and you're one of those people, then you got to make a choice to get involved because there are too many people that come to church and all they do is they are spectators. They are an audience. We need men. We need churches that will get active, that will stand courageously. We need to write uh, the spectators. They cheer courageous people on. They're not courageous. They're just cheering people that are courageous on. But we've got to be participants in the battle. We've got to act when those times come. In verse 48, it says, as the Philistines moved closer, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran toward the battle line to meet him. Can you imagine that? Big old Goliath is, is, is walking to the battle line and David runs at him. That must have caught him off guard because he's like, this little dude is like running at me. I've never had somebody do that in battle. Everybody's cautious around me. David runs to the battle. He attacks the enemy rather than waiting for the enemy to attack. Men, you've got to stand courageous because too many of you are waiting for the enemy to attack rather than going on the offensive. David takes out a stone. He hurls it into the air. It strikes Goliath in the forehead, and the stone hit him so solid that it sank into his head. Dude, that's some craziness, right? He kills Goliath with one stone. Who killed Goliath? God killed Goliath. And he used David. He used his abilities. And then David finishes the battle by cutting off Goliath's head with his own sword. When the Philistine army saw this, they turned and ran. And here is where I want to talk about the results of standing courageously. So those were the four ways that we need to stand courageously, those four secrets that help us do that better. But here is the result when we stand courageous. When we stand courageous, we give godly confidence to others. We give godly confidence to others. Before David came to the battle, Israel's king, Israel's army, they were afraid and dismayed. They didn't know what to do. For 45 days, they were taunted by the Philistines and did nothing. They saw no path that led to victory, but David turned their focus to God. He stood courageous for God on behalf of God. He fought for the reputation of God. He fought for the honor and the glory of God. And when he defeated Goliath, in the power of God, something changed. Israel's army went from being fearful and dismayed 
to confident. Confident in God. In verse 52, it says, Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. I mean, they're brave now, right? Where's that been for 45 days? But now they are brave and they attack the Philistines. It says the Israelites surged forward with a shout and they pursued the Philistines. They destroyed the Philistine army and they received the plunder from the Philistine army. David takes Goliath's head to Jerusalem for everyone to see not what he has done, but what God has done. He wanted to give all of Israel a godly confidence no matter what they were facing in life. Men, are you giving godly confidence to those God has placed in your life? When you stand courageously, God gives you opportunities to give godly confidence to other people. God gives you that ability to do that. Here's what also happens when you stand courageously. You are able to give God the glory due him. In verse 47, it says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David's like, you know what? I'm going to take on the enemy. I'm going to, I'm going to empower other people to fight back against the enemy. But I also want to give God the glory because he's the one that's going to bring the victory. And so the results of David's victory, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. It is God that saves and not the sword or the spear. And the battle is the Lord's. When God brings you victory in the battle, take the time to give him the glory that is due him. It is so easy to move on to the next battle, right, men? We, we, we get that victory and we move on to the next battle. Stop and take time to praise him, to tell others what God has done. Let me wrap up this episode by asking you men three questions. Three questions that you need to give some serious consideration. Spend some time, I like to say percolate, but you know, grew up in the day of the old percolator uh, coffee makers, but uh, I, I just, I remember loving to watch how it would just shoot up the top. And I'm like, sometimes you just need to percolate on something, right? And so the first question is this, is there an area of your life where you need to stand courageously for God? Man, I need you to, to take time to evaluate, is there an area in my life where I need to stand courageously for God? I'm not speaking of those battles you want to fight because you feel wrong or mistreated. We all have them, right? I mean, there are so many battles that I would like to fight because of that, and I don't fight them because I don't want to get caught up in fighting worthless battles. Not speaking of those battles that God wants you to fight for him. Are there those battles that God wants you to stand courageously to fight for him. Are there those battles in your life? The second thing, are you willing to stand courageously even though you may stand alone? So the first question is, are there battles where you need to stand courageously? Are there situations in your life where you need to stand courageously? And then the second part of that is, when you stand courageously, are you willing to keep standing even when you are alone? God is always with you when you fight his fight. 
But that does not mean that everybody else won't be hiding behind the rocks in fear and dismay. Men, are you willing to stand alone? It's hard to stand alone. It's easy when we got the boys behind us, but when they're not there, it's hard. So are you willing to take a stand? And are you willing to take that stand when you are alone? And the third question, are you willing to come alongside someone in your life who is in the midst of a battle and stand side by side with them? Right? So the first thing is, are there battles we need to take a stand for? Stand courageously. When nobody else stands with us, are we willing to keep standing courageously? And are there people in your life that you need to come alongside them and stand with them as they face the battle that they're in? Whatever place you find yourself in, make sure to be fighting the right battles, taking the right stands, and doing it courageously, no matter how great the enemy you face. No matter how few people stand with you, God desires men who are willing to take a stand, men who are willing to stand out, to stand up, to stand firm, and to stand courageous. Men, it's time. It's time to take a stand, and it's time to man up. Guys, I just want to say, if you have been enjoying these podcasts I want to encourage you to like, subscribe, whatever you can do to get the word out. Share it on your social media so that other people could see what's going on. We just want to be able to get the word out. And the reality of it is this. I like doing this. I like being able to talk to you, to come to you through the Time to Man Up podcast. I am not a social media guru. I don't know the secret to getting the word out. But we need men, other people that will help us get the word out. So if you can share these episodes through social media, in your churches with other men, if you've got a men's group. And I also want to con just continue to be praying. Guys, we have completed the first session, we the trailer for our Man Up study and the first session. And uh, we are finally seeing progress after amazing challenges that have come our way. But we continue to take that stand. We continue to move forward. And we are still shooting for the end of June to have that curriculum available. Again, that's the Man Up series. It's a 10-week study looking at how we become the men God desires us to be. And, uh, man, I could do a whole episode on just the stories that, that surround getting that accomplished and the challenges that have come. But listen, we know this. If God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what the challenges are, if God is for us, who can be against us? And guys, when it comes to standing courageously, that's an important thing to remember. So guys, again, help me get the word out. Take time today to celebrate uh, the amazing freedom that we have through the sacrifices that individuals gave in the serving of our country. And we are so grateful for that. But remember this. There is no greater sacrifice than the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave on the cross. And I know my cross has an American flag on it, but Jesus Christ gave his life so that all may live, so that all may have eternal life. Guys, it's a word that we've got to get out there. So thanks for being with us today for this episode. And we challenge you to stand courageous in whatever comes your way and whoever stands with you. <laughs>